hopefully you kept your finger in Jonah chapter 1. That is where we will be this morning. I'm calling this Lessons from a Hard Heart. We learned a lot. We've, we've learned about Jonah from when we were little in Sunday school. And there's nothing, if there's anything more apparent, it is that Jonah's heart had gotten a bit hard toward God and his calling. The reason I grabbed this title is because there's a particular time in my own life where there was a rather toxic individual, an authority figure in my uh, context, and um, I was having a lot of trouble relating to this man in the right way, in a way that pleased the Lord. And a brother came alongside me and he said these words to me, Dave, you can learn a lot from a bad example. You know, I've never forgotten that. Jonah is a really bad example. So would you just kind of join me this morning as we try to be instructed and made better by someone who was having a hard time following God? You with me on that? To do that, I want you to do something else first. I want you to remember the early days of your faith. When you first came to know Christ... With, that you just couldn't get enough of the word. You simply acted on what God said. If you read it, you obeyed it. You saw his hand moving in your life. You told everybody you knew that Jesus had come into your life. You stood alone, even if need be, because you didn't care anymore. You had Christ. <laughs> nothing, nothing was more joyful, nothing was more important than knowing Christ. Jesus' description of the appropriate level of surrender are these words here. Read it with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And when you're young in Christ, that is the level of obedience that's fueled by the newness, the excitement of a life being transformed and the joy that Christ has come into your life and he's changed everything about you. But you know what I've noticed? As I get older, both chronologically and spiritually, changes happen. Changes that actually concern me about my responsiveness to God. Can I get a witness? Anybody there with me? Uh, in fact, sometimes I, I, I'm very concerned about myself. Uh, while I continue to study God's word and I s try to submit to him and I, try to s I seek to subdue my flesh and walk in God's ways, I also see a tendency to lose the fervor that was once mine, that once marked my relationship with Christ. Uh, furthermore, now that, I know you haven't noticed this, but I have gray hair now, and at this stage in my life, I remember what I thought when I was much younger. And I thought that by the time I get to this phase, there's going to be a, things that are a lot different. I'm going to have victory over certain things. Uh, the spiritual warfare is going to subside. And you know what? Nothing is further from the truth. It's actually harder to subdue the flesh. It's harder to walk in that reality. The battle rages against us. And as it rages, it whittles away at our loyalty and our devotion to Christ. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. 
Gail McDonald, in her very excellent book, High Call, High Privilege, says this, untended fires soon die and become a pile of ashes. That's why we have to be intentional. That's why we have to learn. That's why we have to be part of each other's lives and iron sharpening iron. We don't want that fire to go out. Jonah's life gives us some very poignant signs of that fire dissipating. That's why we're calling it Lessons from a Hard Heart. Jonah's heart had grown cold and disengaged from God's mission. God has always desired for people all over the world to know who he is. Jonah was specifically called to that mission, and his heart grew hard toward it, to the point where he refuses to go and do what God told him to do. So what are the signs that hardness in our heart is creeping in? First of all, when God has clearly spoken, and we have chosen a different pathway. That really sums up Jonah, doesn't it? So God gave Jonah a clear word. Go to Nineveh. You know, I don't hear God speak. I don't know if you do, but uh, if you do, I'd love to talk to you for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but the book of Hebrews tells us that in times past, God spoke to the prophets, and this is an example here. Go to Nineveh, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And you know what? Jonah has no excuse for not understanding what God did. He did understand. He was a professional, what we might call the clergy of his day. It was no once-in-a-while thing to hear from God. He was God's spokesman. He knew exactly how to hear from God and how to, 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 to do what God had called him to do. That was his job, his profession, his calling. And in the face of this clear word from God, Jonah's obedience completely dissipates, and he goes in a different direction. Now, I'm sure that that has never happened to you. It is always the first indicator of a hardening heart that something is changing inside us when we depart from God's clear word. Now, if I were to ask you, if we were in a smaller group, I could ask you, give me some, some what you know is God's will from this book. And we would come up with things like, well, to glorify God. Obviously, that's why he wants us here. He's also called us to live as saints in the world. He's called us to love one another as spouses, as Jesus loves his church. He's called us to raise our children, to know him and to love him. The list could go on and on and on. But what's at issue here in this narrative is Jonah's call to proclaim. And that's what we're going to focus on, the call to proclaim. Can I ask you something? Is... Thanks for letting me. Um, <laughs> is Jonah the only one who has this calling? Or do you have it? Do I have it? We have been called to speak of Christ to the lost. Both Mark 16 and Matthew 28 tell us to preach the gospel to every creature under heaven, to make disciples of all nations, 
from the very beginning, God's heart was for the world. To Abraham, he said, through you, all the world would be blessed. When we get all the way to Galatians chapter 3, Paul tells us that God was thinking of Jesus when he made that promise to Abraham. And it is through Christ that all the world can be blessed because we carry the message that they need to hear. We have the same calling. God's plan has always been to use his own people to win the lost. The nation of Israel failed. I often wonder if the church is going to fail as well. If we are not engaging the world, which, by the way, is condemned by God in its sinfulness, it will face an eternity in the lake of fire without God, without Christ, in darkness, with no hope, unless they hear that there is an answer in Christ. And if we're not engaging, if we're not confronting that world with the truth, it really doesn't matter what our religious habits are. If we're not proclaiming to the lost that they truly are lost, that they are under God's condemnation, and by the way, beloved, that is a just condemnation because of our sin, then our hearts are becoming hard toward God's calling because God has clearly spoken. He's clearly spoken. And we are choosing a different pathway. God's goal for the earth is this. We see it in Habakkuk 2.14. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How does the glory of God fill the earth? Well, right now, this is so exciting. Right now it happens one soul at a time. When a soul repents and comes to trust that Jesus' sacrificial sacrifice in our place satisfied God's wrath against us, they trust that he was the substitutionary sacrifice in our place, then Christ comes and that imputed sin that came from Adam is now replaced with imputed righteousness. Christ's righteousness brought to bear on the person who has repented. And therefore, Christ enters the life. His glory comes because he's changed the life and continues to change it until we see Christ. All of you who are in Christ know exactly what I'm talking about. You you know what I'm saying when I speak of a transformation of life, don't you? You experienced it when you believed. You, you were cleansed from your sins. Do you remember? <laughs> you, you, you felt in the deepest part of your soul that, that you were new and that Christ had brought you to life. Your soul had been resurrected from its deadness and, and his life bubbled over from you. One day, the glory of God is going to come in the physical person of Jesus Christ, where his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, he will come to this earth, he will come to rule it with a rod of iron. Mercy will be over. That is the day of judgment, which the Bible refers to as the day of the Lord. It is the day when no one, when repentance and mercy will be over. Until then, here's our calling. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God, now watch this, as though God were pleading through us. 
And here's the words that he pleads. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has made a way for people to be reconciled to him. We are the instruments of his redemption. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, Peter said. And you are the light of the world. Beloved, our hearts are turning hard if God has clearly spoken and we've chosen a different pathway. Another thing I see in Jonah's life is that hardness is evident when we can sleep while others are perishing. Verses 4 and 5 say this, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and, and it was a mighty tempest, and so the ship was about to be broken up. I don't know if you've ever been on the sea in a storm. That is not a very pleasant experience. It's frightful, especially in their day. When the mariners, professional sailors, were, were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and what's he doing? He was fast asleep. Hence the point that I want you to get. Our hearts are hardening even further if we can sleep in the midst of lost people who are perishing. Jonah was so exhausted from all his energies that he was expending on running from God, that he slept through the storm that threatened the lives of seasoned mariners. Think about Jonah for a second. The lost are dying around him. And the man who has the message to save them is asleep. What Jonah's thinking escapes us. What he, what he isn't thinking is loud and clear. His sleep indicates that his burden for the lost has departed. The lost that God had clearly called him to proclaim to. His sleep indicates that his conscience no longer felt the tug of God's will. He was asleep, physically for sure, but also sp spiritually, most significantly spiritually, while the lost around him were perishing. So let me ask you, are we asleep? This is a very sobering teaching. Beloved, if, if we can go through our daily routines seeking to make a living and yet remain unconcerned about the status of souls around us, we're asleep. If we can be satisfied to spend the resources that God gives us only on ourselves and our pleasures and not use those resources as in efforts to win people to Christ, we're asleep. If we can rest comfortably and not weep over the lost people that we know that are part of our families and our neighborhoods and our friends, we're sleeping. If we act as if we don't believe that hell is real, by the way, did you know Jesus taught on hell more than anything else? It's real. There are flames of punishment and torment. There is darkness and separation from God for eternity. It is Christless. It is without hope. It is people are eternally lost and perpetually destroyed yet never annihilated. If we know that and still withhold the gospel, we're asleep. We are asleep. What can we do? 
I believe in fixing things. I'd like to try to fix things that are wrong. Here's, let me offer some suggestions. First of all, learn to share your story. Your story is something that people can't argue with. People can argue theology all day long, but they can't argue your story. And you don't need theology lessons to do this. All you need is confidence that Jesus is with you. <laughs> and, and, and when he opens an opportunity, you just open your mouth and trust him. Learn to share your story with Jesus. Open your home in hospitality. People have to eat. Everybody loves to eat. Sitting at the table with food at an invitation, a, a, a simple invitation means the world to people, but that can disarm hostilities. I want to tell you about a lady named Gila. Gila moved into our neighborhood and uh, we saw her. She lived alone. She uh, always walked her dog. And we just thought, we, we need to know who this lady is. So one day, we were out, and we greeted one another, and uh, I took the plunge. And I, after we exchanged greetings and names, I said, Sheila, we would love the chance to get to know you. Would you just, would you honor us with coming and having a meal together and letting us get to know you? Her response is something I will never forget. She said, I would come to your house and share even a glass of water with you. That says volumes about what was going on in her heart. Gila became a very good friend. She's from another country. She became a very dear person in our lives and one that we sat around for hours and talked about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. To our knowledge, she's not born again yet, but she's heard the gospel, and she has a Bible, and she has friends. My encouragement to you is step outside your comfort zone. Is there a nursing home near you? Brother Dave, I don't, I don't like nursing homes. Well, you know what? I bet the people in them don't like them either. But there are people on the edge of eternity who may not know who Christ is need a chance to hear. Can you help someone new to the country learn to speak English better? Is there a neighbor, a workmate, someone you know going through a difficult time that you can go and sit with them and be the light of Christ in relationship and pray that God uses you as you're there, caring and loving? These are just examples. God's agenda for the world is that the lost hear of Christ that his salvation takes center stage. I, oh, how much I pray that you become preoccupied with Christ's salvation. Let us not sleep while others are perishing, beloved. In Jonah's case, his hardness of heart manifested itself in lip service to following God in the midst of rebellion. I hope there's nobody in this room like that, but I'm going to make the point anyway because Scripture makes the point. Jonah is roused from his sleep. In desperation, the crew ask him, Who are you? Tell us where are you from? And he gives this incredibly pious answer. Verse 9, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Are you kidding me, Jonah? You're actually running from God. You're actually avoiding his calling. How dare you say that you serve the Lord, the God of heaven? 
this makes me think of some people in my life who I have known to be in rebellion against God who yet wanted to keep up appearances of everything being right with God. It's possible, isn't it, to keep up appearances while the heart is desperately out of order. But I remind you, beloved, that Jesus' most vehement condemnation was toward religious hypocrites who, while maintaining the outward appearance of religion, had no inward adherence to the truth. So let me ask you, how's the relationship between your life and your lips, your walk and your talk? There is a very sobering passage in Ezekiel chapter 36. God's people are in captivity for their own sins, and God says this to them, I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I'm hallowed in you before their eyes. What is God saying to his people? The way we walk with God is testimony to the world that God is real. Just, just um, was it last Sunday? Seems like this week was long. But the, the passage in First <laughs> John that says, no one has seen God at any time. And yet, the admonition was to the people of God to love one another, to love the world, the people of the world, that is. How do people see God? Well, they can't see him, but they can see him in us. I think if we're honest, we have to conclude sometimes that the world concludes our irrelevance because they just don't see the reality. There's a disconnect between the profession of our lips and the demonstration of our lives. And yet God's call remains. It remains. The final sign that your heart has grown hard and calloused before God is that you would rather die than repent. It's worth noting to me, I'm a very curious Bible student. And as I read the text here, I think, well, Jonah, why didn't you just tell them what you were doing and what you should have been doing and ask them to turn the ship around so you can go obey the Lord? That wasn't in his heart, was it? He was so self-consumed, so victim-obsessed, so prejudiced, if you will, against the Ninevites and against these pagans in his mind that he would rather die than fulfill what God had called him to do. I, I remind you that Jonah had no idea that a big fish was coming to preserve his life. As far as he was concerned, this was the end and he was willing to die in his disobedience. I can't tell you how many people have sat across from the counseling desk with me. And when I showed them in the Bible the wrongness of what the direction they were going, they looked me straight in the eye and said, I'm going to continue to do this. Wow. That's a hard heart. When God shows you what he is calling you to do and you turn away from it. And you would rather die. Jonah chooses to go overboard. 
rather than repent. I wonder, is there anyone here that is so distraught, so depressed, so angry, so immovable in a darkened perspective, so cold to what God says is the normal Christian life, so stuck in your religious facade that you're going to go to your grave unrepentant instead of humbling your heart before the Lord. I hope that's not the case. But the Bible, the New Testament tells us the things that were written before are written for our learning, that we, through patience and encouragement of the Scriptures, might have hope. We can learn from this example. I encourage you to examine your hearts this morning in light of the teaching. If you are that distraught, if you are in darkness, there's somewhere in your past an area of disobedience where God has clearly spoken and you've veered off course. Somewhere there are choices that have led to insensitivity to God's call in your life and an unhealthy focus on yourself. In John 15, Jesus said 10 times, he used the word abide. And he said things like, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and my word abide in you. Abide in my love. He said those things repeatedly. What is he saying? He's saying, it's not what you do, it's who you're with. (laughs) When you go to an amusement park, do you pay for all the kids there? Or do you just pay for your kids? You get my point? It's who, who they're with that matters. And Jesus is with us. He says, why should you abide? Why should my word abide in you? Why should my love abide in you? That your joy may be full. For some, the joy of Christ has long since departed because a lesser path was chosen, the path of human wisdom, the path that seemed right. But there's a way that seems right, but the end thereof is the way of death. I don't believe that a true believer ever intends for his heart to grow cold. But it can happen. Peter reminded us in his message on the day of Pentecost, and this is two people who actually needed to be saved, but the truth works both ways. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshment may come to you from the presence of the Lord. Our flesh would tell us, don't let anybody know what's, what's eating at your soul. Don't hide that. They're gonna, you're going to be in, in shame and, and you're going to be looked down upon. You know what? God says the opposite. You repent so that times of refreshment come from the presence of the Lord. I said to you that truth works with people who are saved and unsaved. Dear ones, let me ask you, is there, has there ever been a time where you were responsive to God? Maybe, there, maybe you look, maybe the truths of this message are, 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 are settling deeply into your soul and, and you say, I, I can't see a time where I ever actually responded to God in his free offer of mercy and forgiveness of sins. And I would invite you today to make today, drive a stake in the ground and make today that day. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but he who forsakes, confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. For those of us believers who may have strayed and grown a little calloused, it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, Peter says. 
And Paul reminded us that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Well, how do we judge ourselves? Well, Well, first of all, we confess what we know is wrong. All of us are sinners. We all have needs before the Lord. If God has shown you something, you confess that to him right now. If you need Christ, he has offered to come into your life and to forgive all of your sins, past, present, and future, to give you eternal life, to give you his righteousness and the promise of everlasting life. Ask him. All of us need him to fill us with himself because he alone is the fountain of living waters. What am I asking you to do? Raise the white flag. Raise the white flag of surrender. If we've heard the word of God and been confronted by it, the appropriate response is to allow God to do what God wants to do. The promise of Psalms 1631 is this. You will show me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I pray that the lessons from this disobedient prophet would cause us to flee into the everlasting arms of the Lord Jesus, into his mercy, and to have those pleasures forevermore that are at his right hand. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Brother Jeff has often encouraged us to have a time of reflection after the teaching, and I like